0: This is 105.9 The Region. There are so many ways of communicating these days, but nothing seems to beat the one-on-one. This is In Conversation with Ann Romer.
1: Welcome to In Conversation. Thank you for being with us. This show is, in my view, up front, up close, and revealing. I have watched Steve Pakin his entire broadcast life, from the early days when he grabbed an oar for CBC Toronto and Newsworld to today, where he is the captain of his own ship, TVO's The Agenda with Steve Pakin. This celebrated current affairs host, journalist, author and documentary producer is passionate about his province, curious about its citizens, and not afraid to ask probing questions of its politicians. I call this episode of In Conversation, Steve Paken's Ontario. He joins us now with his view of our province. Welcome to In Conversation, Steve Pakin.
0: Anne, it's it's a joy to be with you, but I, I'm going to push back on one thing in that intro right away, and that is I am definitely not the captain of the agenda ship I think maybe maybe I might be the quartermaster but I'm definitely not the captain
1: you've always been so generous when it comes to anything that you do in your life you never say I you say we and I know that about you
0: well that's because uh, as you would well know it, it, there's no I boy what's that a cliche there's no I in team mm-hmm. and the fact is we have a decent sized team here that puts a program on and yes I may be the the, the face of it you know the per- person that people know the most but my goodness I mean, if Larry Curry wasn't uh, pushing the dials on the... No one would be able to hear me. And if David Chung wasn't taking my picture, no one would be able to see me. And if Sheldon Osmond weren't directing the show, none of it would get on the air. So, yeah, there's a lot more to it than just this guy sitting behind a desk.
1: You're a good man, Charlie Brown. So I have to sit corrected on this as opposed to stand corrected. I mentioned that I've been watching you since the very early days of your career, but I think we need to rewind a little bit. I understand that you were the play-by-play announcer for the Varsity Blues hockey and football teams at on U of T radio, so that really was your start. I missed it. What was that like?
0: Oh, my goodness. Uh, I, I, not only was I horrible, but the guy <laughs> who did the color commentary with me, I bet you know, his name's Michael Landsberg, and he was at TSN for 25 years doing Off the Record, and he's on... Uh, you know, TSN 1050 in the mornings now. Sorry, I shouldn't plug the competition, but it's I mean okay. we've known each other for, gosh, 42 years or something like that, and we were we had so much fun back in those days, and we were truly appalling. But a, a good thing that we got all those appalling broadcasts out of our system. Before we got our real jobs, I think. But boy, did we have fun.
1: So I kind of picture you sitting up in, in the booth and with a set of binoculars, because this would have been way before we <laughs> had the technology that we did. And would you look at what was going on and just speak about what you saw? How did you figure out how to be a play-by-play announcer?
0: Well, the, the, the fact is, I think my first week of UT, so we're talking August 1978, I went to Hart House, which is this beautiful gothic building on the downtown campus of U of T, and I walked in and I saw the, uh, you know, there was the table for the chess club and the table for the archery club and the debate club, and and there was another table that just said U of T radio. And Ann, I don't know how to describe it, but it's like a light bulb went off above my head, and I just thought, wow, I'm going there. And I went to the guy sitting behind the desk, and I said, do you guys have anybody who does the play-by-play for the varsity blues hockey and football? And they said, no. And I said, can I do it? And they said, sure. And I said, you mean I could be the Foster Hewitt of University of Toronto, <laughs> which is a reference that you know many people may not get today, but suffice to say he was the first ever play-by-play guy for the Maple Leafs back in the 30s and, and basically invented the job. And that's how it all started. And then you know, I got hooked up with Michael Landsberg, and we went up to the booth, and um, you know, we, we described what we saw. We were horrible, but we had a great time. I'm sure people listening had a
1: great time as well, especially if they had a couple of bevies with them while they were listening to you. That may have helped.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure anything would have helped, but, you know, we did our best.
1: So you you put that experience into you and, and you moved along. And so we now go to the early days of reporting at and from Queen's Park for CBLT. So... What did you learn about provincial politics from that time? I think you hosted Daily News and a current affairs show for News World, but you were positioned in a spot where you could see and hear everything that was going on at QP.
0: Well, I had the great good fortune of being able to report on uh, the goings-on of Bill Davis's last government, which would have been in the early 1980s. So you know, what, what did I learn? I learned a bunch of things. I learned, number one, how much I enjoyed it, how much I enjoyed watching Queen's Park and learning about provincial affairs. And I also think I was pretty lucky to be able to see uh, one of the truly great masters at his craft, and that would have been Bill Davis, of course. He was second longest serving premier in Ontario history, uh, a guy who's, I, I, I don't mean this to sound as pretentious as I fear it might, but but his his political rise kind of took place around the same time as my own kind of personal maturation in, in Ontario. So as I grew up, he was kind of a guy. And I, I just really um, have a lot of time for him. I think he was, a, he was an, an excellent premier. And it's not only me saying that, it's also people who were in the other two opposition parties, New Democrats and Liberals, who said that as well. And of course, he's still alive at 91 and a half years old, not quite as old as your dad, but, um, but he's hanging in there at 91 and a half. And, and, and he's, you know, I know there's a tendency to say, boy, those were the good old days and things were better then. But you know what, Ann? Those were the good old days and things were better then. And it was, yes, it was different, but, but there was something about the way he governed that made everybody feel like they just had a little bit more skin in the game. And, um, and you have to give him that.
1: So, let me ask you this. The book you wrote, Pacon and the Premier's Personal Reflections of Half a Century of Political Leaders that would include Bill Davis. In your opinion, which of the leaders that you wrote about over fifty years would have best handled the pandemic that we're going through today?
0: Oh, gosh. You know it's funny. I think about that all the time. and and i and I also think about could could legends like John Robarts and Leslie Frost and Bill Davis could they have managed as well as they did? if they'd have had to put up with 24-7 all news channels and social media on steroids and all of that, and would we be regarding their years differently had they had to put up with the kind of hothouse of criticism that is social media? And, and I don't know. Let's put it this way. These guys were extremely competent at what they did. I mean, there's a reason the Conservative stayed in power for 42 straight years in Ontario, right? I mean, they sort of had it figured out. And, and uh, you know, I'd like to think that they would have been able to ask all the right questions and make all the right decisions and, and, and you know, would be, would be just right for the times uh, nowadays. But it's such a hypothetical, who knows?
1: Why did you write and create a documentary about the late John Robarts, Premier of Ontario?
0: Oh, I just found his whole life um, utterly fascinating. And for this reason, I didn't know anything about John Robarts other than as a U of T student um, you know, I, I spent some time in the library named after him in downtown Toronto, but remember, he was premier from 1961 to 1971, so basically from the ages of one to ten for me, or one to eleven. Yeah, one to ten. So, uh, of course, too young for me to have any first-hand memories of his premiership. But I pulled a book off a, uh, my local library shelf one day, just uh, it, really out of the blue. I just saw it there, and I thought, boy, I really don't know enough about this guy, and I, I cover the Ontario legislature, I should know more. And this was a book written by a Western University professor named Alan McDougall. And 95% of the book was all about the legislative achievements of the Robarts years, which were very impressive. I mean, it was the best time to be Ontario Premier. They never ran deficits. They spent like crazy. I mean, we were a very rich province back then, and it was a great time to be Premier. And then in the last pages of the book, the other side of the story, Yeah that he had a very tragic personal life. Uh, his son was lost to suicide. He was lost to suicide. His first wife drank herself to death, essentially. And he had a very controversial marriage to a woman 28 years his junior as a second marriage. And I thought to myself, my God, that's a Shakespearean story and deserves to be kind of reinterpreted. So um, that's why I wanted to write the book and make the documentary. The documentary came first. And then that was... Um, so popular and did so well that I thought, there's a book to be done here as well. And a, a bunch of his colleagues, um, Richard Romer is a name that comes to mind. You may know him. <laughs> Darcy McHugh is another name that comes to mind. John Cronin, another guy from London. These were all Robarts' disciples. And they approached me one day and they said, you've demonstrated some understanding of Robarts' life with this documentary. We think you ought to write a book about him too. And it was, it was good timing because it was just long enough after he had died that people felt more open to talk about him, but not so far after the fact that all of his contemporaries would have died already. So um, that was really a, I mean, that, has, that project has a very special place in my heart. And of course, I interviewed your father for that book because he was Robarts' chief of staff and, and had such a wonderful front row seat to so many of the achievements of those years.
1: And so many of the tragedies as well. And what I feel from when I read about what you've done and what you've written and what you've created in terms of the documentary, it reminds me, and maybe it does you as well, that these politicians are people as well, that they have personal lives that sometimes may need to remain covered up, but you chose to, to present the darker side of John Robarts to the world, and you did that with good intentions in your heart.
0: Well, uh, thank you for saying that, but I I tried to do it respectfully. I mean, the reality was the way John Robarts lived his life, uh, where he would, um, how do I put this? I mean, you know, he he used to party hardy in in, in, uh, in Yorkville while his wife and kids were still off in London, and, you know, that was partly because his wife didn't want to move to Toronto, as most of the politicians' wives did back then. She preferred to stay in London, and in terms of what was good for their marriage, that was a mistake because um, John Roberts just had—how do I put this? He just had a little bit too much fun away from his wife, and 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 I tried to, I tried to be respectful in the way I told that story, mostly because his daughter was still alive when that book came out. That that family was really cursed in some respects. You know, I've mentioned he died prematurely, his son did, his wife did, and his daughter died. Robin died in her 50s from cancer. All four of them, all lost prematurely. Uh, They seem to have uh, just so many wonderful advantages and great things in life and ultimately a a truly Shakespearean story. And and your dad was very, very generous in sharing his his memories of that time because in some respects it was a great, exciting time, uh, but in other respects uh, so sad in other ways as well
1: has any of this, and in particular your time with Bill Davis and your time with spending time researching John Robarts, any of this make you want to run for office?
0: Never. Tell me what you really think. (laughs) (laughs) No, I, I mean, obviously I have an interest in politics. I've been covering it for almost 40 years. And And I know lots of politicians, and I have tremendous respect for people who've got the guts to put their name on a ballot. But it's just never anything that I really wanted to do. Um, You know, the first two books I wrote were The Life, The Seductive Call of Politics, so the reasons why people go into it. And the second book was called The Dark Side, The Personal Price of a Political Life. And, And there aren't many who go into politics who get out of it unscathed. Um, Greg Sorbera, the former Ontario finance minister, once told me that every political career ends in tragedy, and you know, his, ironically enough, did not. He left of his own accord, but he would have been one of the very few exceptions um, to the rule. Oh. Most of them, most of them, uh, the joke is they leave for health reasons, meaning that the the public got sick of them, uh, and it's a tough life. So no, not for me
1: when we come back, what is in store then for Steve Bacon?
0: This is In Conversation with Ann Romer. Is there someone you want to learn more about? Drop us a line, info at 1059theregion.com. Ann Romer will be right back on 1059 The Region. Welcome back to In Conversation with Ann Romer on 1059 The Region.
1: We're back in conversation with Steve Paikin. We're having a good look at his view of Ontario, and we've spent a good deal of time in the past, Steve. So let's now focus on the present. You are the proud host of an amazing current affairs show, The Agenda with Steve Paikin. You've just been nominated for Best Host, and the show has been given the nomination as well, Best Current Affairs Show. How does that make you feel right now?
0: Well, uh, let me say two things. Number one, it is never a terrible thing to be nominated, and I know it's a cliche to say it, but it is an honor to be nominated. And the fact is, I think that's the twelfth nomination for best host that I've received. Now, the other side of the coin is, I, I'm 0 for 11, <laughs> and and I, you know, as weird as this sounds, I don't mind that I'm 0 for 11. It's fine. Anybody who I mean, the joke around TVO is they call me the Susan Lucci of TVO. <laughs> and for people of a certain generation, they will remember Susan Lucci played Erica Kane on All My Children, the soap opera. And I think she might have been nominated 22 or 23 times before she finally won. So sometimes around here they call me Looch. <laughs> uh, bottom, bottom line, it's, it, it, none of it matters, Anne. Uh, none of it matters. It's lovely to be nominated. It, 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 it'd be lovely to win. It's not catastrophic that I've lost. It's, it's all fine. It's all fine. It's all about the work, and the work is wonderful.
1: I've watched your interviewing style for years, and I finally kind of started to figure it out. You ask questions that many of us are thinking as we are watching you. You ask with respect. You make your questions short. They're interesting, and often I feel that you know more than your guest does. What is it that has come from within you that has made you Is this kind of interviewer, one who is cautious, kind, caring, but you also are not afraid to probe and get right to the point, whether it's ugly or whether it's sensational?
0: Um, That's a bit hard to answer because, as odd as this sounds, I'm about the least introspective person I know. I'm not that interested in what makes me tick. Hmm. And I have spent precious little time over the years sort of trying to figure out questions like that. I think if I had to, I don't know. I know, Anne that I'm a very curious person. I really desperately want to understand how the world works. And, and maybe that's what's drawn me to politics, because those are the people, after all, who are the decision makers uh, who often have tremendous influence over our life and, and decide how our world is going to work. So I am interested in that. And for whatever reason, um, I, I've, uh, you know, I wouldn't say I've led a balanced life because uh, I've certainly been prepared to put in the long hours required to do the research, to be ready, so that, so that I don't think I know more than any of the people I interview, but I certainly like to know as much as I possibly can. So I, I guess those two combinations, I guess the combination of those two things contributes to whatever it is that has allowed me to hang on to this job for as long as I have.
1: And let me be clear, in no way do you come across as somebody who knows more than your guest. I just sense that because I I know you and I understand, I think I understand you. Steve, a few moments ago you mentioned that there is a dark side uh, when it comes to being a high-profile politician from time to time. Is there a dark side for you being a high-profile media host, interviewer, journalist, documentary maker, and author. Is there a dark side to that?
0: Uh, No, there really isn't. Um, Probably the worst part about my job, and it's really not that bad, the worst part about the job is just, uh, you know, when you go on social media and you see all the lovely things people have to say about you. (laughs) But that's fine. You You know what? My attitude is I work for TVO. It's a public company. The people of Ontario pay my salary. They are entitled to say whatever the heck they want about whatever the heck they want as it relates to my job, and they do. And I get uh, you know the good, the bad, and the ugly, and that's all fair game. It's all fine. And and I don't you know uh, I know it's a habit of some people on Twitter to block all sorts of people who are nasty to them. I, I don't do that. I, I want to I want to be reminded every day of how badly I do my job because um, number one, it motivates me to be better. And number two, you cannot get a big ego or a thick head if um, people are constantly telling you how lousy you are. So I I appreciate both those things.
1: So finding the balance in your life, your powerhouse of a wife, your incredibly active children, how does your family keep you comfortable with all of the you know what and it's a four letter word that swirls around us in our world. That can be false accusations, nasty things online said about you or the people you love. Where does your family come in in terms of coping with that?
0: Number one. Uh I I boy, you know, I I don't spend a lot of time thinking about this, but it has occurred to me because occasionally people will, and I'm 60 years old now, right? So I got more more yesterdays than tomorrows in this business. And occasionally, much younger people will say, what do you hope your legacy is in this game? And and I say, oh, you know, I, there's not going to be one. I mean, I'm not going to have a legacy. The reality is, the second I'm not doing this job anymore, people are going to start to forget about me. And that's just the way it is, and I'm fine with that. What's important is that I, I somehow do this job while at the same time um, having as wonderful a relationship with my uh, wife and four kids as is possible. And, uh, you know, I'm in a very happy place to be able to say the four most interesting people I know in the world are my kids, who are uh, 29, 27, 23, and 17. And they're just endlessly interesting, and I enjoy their company. I, 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 you know, I prefer to be in their company more than anybody else in the world. They're just uh, you know, they're endlessly interesting people to be with and they're doing interesting things and I just can't wait to see what they're going to do with their lives and, and um, yeah, so that's, that's where it's at. I don't, I, don't, I don't think for one second about, um, you know, what's going to last in terms of my journalistic life. Uh, none of it will last. Uh, what hopefully will last is whatever minor impact I've had on the life my kids are going to lead, and I'm very interested to see how that's all going to turn out.
1: Well, they say the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, and in my family, we say the nut doesn't fall far from the tree. <laughs>
0: <So>. <laughs> well, you've, listen, you have brought, like, endless, I'm sure, endless pride uh, to your folks, uh, you know, and, I, you know, uh, the listeners won't know this, but but I'm a huge fan of your father. I didn't know your mother as well, but, I, you know, I was a huge fan of your I am a huge fan of your father's, and every year I go to Queen's Park to watch him speak on behalf of the troops at um, the Remembrance Day ceremonies, and, um, you know, he's just, he's truly one of the great men of this world that I've had the joy of, of meeting, and my kids have all met him too, because I've dragged my kids along to that Remembrance Day ceremony as well, and um, they've had a chance to meet him as well. and. Um, yeah, I just love him. He's a great, great man. And uh, uh, what is he, 97 now? Like, it's so yes. wonderful that he's still around.
1: And he feels the same way about you. Not that you're 97, but he thinks you're a great, great man, truly. <laughs> so, so let's talk about today. The province is in a, a state of flux. We're, we're really, really struggling. We as citizens and watching our, our political leaders do what they can to help us get through this pandemic. What are your thoughts about your Ontario in
0: 2021. Boy, what a complicated question. Um, On the one hand, um, on the one hand, I'm extremely grateful, and I bet I speak on behalf of many who are grateful to still be alive and to not be among, you know, the the tragic thousands who are no longer with us, more than 7,000 in the province of Ontario, who have succumbed to this deadly coronavirus. So I'm, I'm grateful to still be with us uh, I'm grateful that I'm still allowed to be working uh, for a living. i'm I'm lucky to have one of those jobs where the pandemic has not put me out of work. But of course, I'm asking a lot of those same questions that I'm sure a lot of people are asking these days, which is, you know what's going to come back? Um, are our our main streets going to be the same? Are the restaurants going to be reopening? Um, are, you know are we going not to be tried about it, but but this is it's big business and it's big heart and soul as well. You know, are are we ever going to go to hockey games or baseball games or movies or, or or summer camp or any of this other stuff again? I mean, these are these are hugely existential questions for our society. And you know, on the one hand, the journalist in me is is fascinated to be living in this time and covering this story, which is of course a once in a hundred year story. But on the other hand, I just feel terrible for so many people um, who. You know, I think about the kids who are coming to the end of high school who aren't gonna get their prom or who have not been enjoying the kind of last year of high school or maybe first year of university that they should be experiencing. Uh, all the people who are losing their jobs, all the people who are, who, who are just having a, a, such a difficult time uh, at this time. So, uh, you know, I'm watching it. I'm, I'm trying to understand it better. We're trying to do programs on it to help people understand the times in which we live. Um, but, you know, I sure, boy, I just, I really just hope and pray that we get out of this sooner than later so that uh, we can return to some sense of normalcy, whatever that means.
1: Agreed. Steve Pakin, there are whispers and rumblings out there that you might be considered for the role of Lieutenant Governor of Ontario when her Honour Elizabeth Dowdswell's tenure ends. What do you think of that?
0: I think your sources are terrible. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but I'll never reveal them. No, but I have it on good authority that there are whispers about it.
0: Um, I, I, boy, and I, I, um, I am not usually tongue-tied, as you can tell, <laughs> but um, that, is a, that is a scenario I can't imagine. Now, if the Maple Leafs were to call and offer me the general manager's job, <laughs> I would be interested in that, I confess. <laughs> But otherwise, I think I'm going to stay put for as long as I possibly can. I do love it where I am. Wow.
1: Well said. You are a treasure and a pleasure. And what an honor to have you in conversation with us at getting to know you just a little bit more. What do you say to the people of Ontario right now who aren't listening and getting to know you better, but also wanting to hear more from you? What do you say?
0: I don't know that they want to hear more from me. And in fact, I think maybe one of the reasons that I've lasted as long as I have in this business is that I really don't inflict my views, my personal life. I I keep all of that off the broadcast. I think people tune in because they want to see me ask serious, smart, thoughtful, respectful, but penetrating questions of some of the smartest people in our world today. And I don't think they care two bits about what I think about this, that, or the other thing which is why I like to keep the focus on the guest. And um, and, and as long as I'm in the chair, that's the way it's gonna be.
1: Well said, well put. Steve Pakin, thank you for joining us in conversation.
0: And it's been a joy to be in your company. Thank you so much for asking.
1: Steve Pakin, so respectful of the people he interviews. As I listen to him right now, it felt like a media masterclass.
0: Bye for now. Follow In Conversation with Ann Romer on Twitter at 1059 The Region. This is 1059 The Region.